if you uh, if you analyze uh, the things that uh, that discourage you or discourage others, uh, very often it's going to be unmet expectations, right? Uh, you had a certain ideal, that ideal was not met by yourself or from others, and it gets to be discouraging. And you think as life goes on, you kind of get used to that, but you come up with new ideals and new goals and everything that seem to very often be frustrated. It's part of living in a falling world, right? That is particularly true in ministry. And uh, one of the struggles of many pastors is, is the ideal seems to fall so short sometimes. Well, you find that throughout the scriptures as well. And that's something what the Apostle Paul is dealing with, of course, with the Corinthians. They just seem to really be struggling getting their act together. And they're behaving like children instead of like adults. You see something similar with the author of Hebrews when he wrote the Hebrews uh, in uh, chapter 5. By this time you ought to be teachers and you have need again of someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Well, the Apostle Paul has a similar goal. He wants to expose the error of the Corinthians because they have not yet learned to understand the difference between good teachers and bad teachers. And the lesson that the Apostle Paul tries to give the Corinthians some 2,000 years ago is a lesson that we all need to hear today. Because it is our responsibility to ensure that we have good teachers in this church and that bad teachers just aren't welcome, right? Well, that's going to require every one of us to understand what is good and what is bad. So my hope today is that we are going to be trained in, as we go through 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 through 15, and also verse 20, that we'll be trained in discerning good from bad teachers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in faith, we turn to you, God, and it's our desire just to know what good looks like. What is the, the genuine article so that we can know when we see a counterfeit? It's not our desire to go around always criticizing other people's ministry or uh, showing all the faults in people who don't believe in us. One of the things that one reason why we don't want to do that is it's entirely possible we've got some things wrong. So we want, with a sense of humility, though, we want to take a stand on righteousness, take a stand for the scriptures and see how that plays out in the life of Christians and in the life of the church. We want to be people who were informed by good doctrine and taught by good teachers. Teach us today as we go to school on the Corinthian church and in their error and let us prevail and be able to handle solid food the meat of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and to be able to teach it to others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, look to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 15, and also verse 20, because it's also kind of exposing some of the bad teachers here. And the first part of this section is going to be about good teachers, and the last part of the section is going to be about bad teachers. You'll find uh, uh, an insert here. It's no longer called Home Groups Helps because many of the home groups are taking a couple of month break here. So it's called Home Helps. 
So this means that you ought to be having this as a devotion at some point in time in the week, maybe at your house, and talk about some of these uh, aspects here. But you also find on the, on, on the home helps here uh, kind of an outline of where we're going to go. And it works out pretty beautifully. We see good teachers in verses 7 through 11, bad teachers verses 12 uh, through 15 and verse 20. And we see that good teachers are humble, truthful, and loving, and bad teachers are prideful, deceitful, and abusive. And it sort of worked out nicely for that, uh, that kind of a parallel comparison uh, to these various people. But let me read the verse in its entirety, and then we'll break down its various uh, components and, and kind of un unpack some of what the apostle is trying to teach the Corinthians, because we need to learn the lessons as well. Second Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. God says, and Paul writes, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so, that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. For you tolerate it, I'm now in verse 20, for you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you, in the face. Let's look here, first of all, going back to the beginning here of the, the principle of good teachers, verses 7 through 11. And one of the first things you see is that good teachers are, are humble. Now, he starts off by saying, or, this is the, the, there's an advantage of expository preaching. You go verse to verse, you learn the whole book and everything. The disadvantage is, is by necessity, most of you probably can't sit here for 30 hours to go through the entire uh, Second Corinthians. I certainly can't stand here going through. So we have to break it up in pieces. So let's go back to, why does he say, or, what points back to the previous verse? in verse 5 that we looked at last Lord's Day where he said, I consider myself not the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. And that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek statement there. He's, he's being sarcastic. These false apostles call themselves eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech because they made fun of the fact that he wasn't into the Greek rhetoric and, and, and that sort of thing, the stylized speaking of the, uh, of the sophists at the time, I am not so in knowledge in fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So while Paul may not be smooth and uh, silky in his speech, he is the apostle of doctrine. We get much of our doctrine from the apostle Paul. So he is the one, he, is, he has a consuming knowledge about what's going on here. So they need to listen to what he says, even if it's not entertaining. Well, it's a it's a good view of a, of, of a good teacher there. And he said here, he says, did I commit a sin by humbling myself? Again, he, he's kind of using some sarcasm here, but, but really he, he's, he's basically pressing the Corinthians. Do you really think because I'm humble, I'm sinning? 
Now, remember the culture that they are in. This is 2,000 years ago. We are accustomed to recognizing humility as a virtue because our culture, as bad as it is now, uh, basically uh, has been very much affected by Protestant Christianity. And humility, we recognize as a virtue. That just simply wasn't the case in the Roman world. Might made right. And the way you, as an empire or as a kingdom, made money is you went and took everybody else's stuff. Their very entertainment had to do with, with violence, right? And, and, uh, and, and killing people in the arena and everything. And that, there's nothing about humility that they appreciated. So they would have been somewhat maybe shocked to see the demonstrations of humility. I mean, they understood it as a concept. They just didn't revere it. But this is, they're, they're now Christians, They now have new categories of what is appropriate. The things that were once vices, uh, uh, might be now virtues, and those things that were once virtues are now vices here. And he brings the example, because I didn't preach the gospel, uh, because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. It kind of comes back to money. Follow the money trail, right? How many times have you heard that? Follow the money trail. Money and power are the big motivating forces behind false teachers in in many, many ways here. So what he's having to uh, address here is the fact that he didn't charge, in a sense, the the, the Corinthians the way the sophists would have. They, They thought something must be wrong. There must be, the message must not be worth paying for here. That, uh, that, that he's basically, because he says he didn't charge for it, and he didn't charge for it when he was there starting the church and, and uh, when he's been back to visit and everything, uh, they must think the message is so low caliber, it's not worth paying for. That was one misunderstanding, uh, that it's just not worth much. And then basically, the gospel is just worthless. Uh, you might as well just give it away. No one is going to pay for it. And that because of that, he must not really be an apostle. So these are the things the false apostles are leveling against them because they are charging for it. And they're trying to justify their reasons for charging for the gospel. So the super, the super apostles charged for whenever they would speak, they would have a fee and that kind of thing. And he's trying to draw the contrast between them and, and him. And it's actually brilliant uh, because it's going to make it kind of awkward for the, false, for the false teachers in many ways. But this is an old issue with the Apostle Paul. He has addressed this all the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he gave them the reason why he didn't charge them. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning in verse 14. Also, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Now, is it wrong for churches to pay preachers, pastors? No. The Lord also proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Okay, so there are some denominations out there saying it's a sin to pay a pastor. Okay, uh, I would not want to. Those 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 denominations will not last, right? Or the teaching will be very very thin, right? Um, but he he's saying so it's fine for the for the church to for people who preach the gospel to make their living from the gospel, but. I have used none of these things, none of these rights. I have not, uh, and I am not writing these things so that I will be done, it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than to have any man mistake my boast as an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. All real, good, gospel preaching teachers feel that sense. There is a They can't keep their mouth silent about the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if I against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge. 
so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free of all men, I have made a slave to all so that I might win the more. So basically, he is, he, when he would, Paul, his standard operation, at least it was with Corinthians, is when he went and planted a church, he actually received the support he needed to live from other churches. I mean, we do that, right? We support missionaries to go start other churches instead of charging them so that he would not be put into the category of all these traveling sophists that charge money all the time. And he, and he paid a price for that. He suffered for that. The Corinthians, that was a rich church. That's one reason why it's been so attractive to false teachers. They thought, well, let's go fleece the Corinthians for a while. They got bunches of money. And Paul really struggled. Paul made tents. He worked during the day in order to prevent from uh, having to take their money here. Then he even says here, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them. Now, he's speaking metaphorically. He didn't go in and, you know, stick them up to the other churches. But basically, he's, he, he, he took ch other churches. And when he says robbed, he means those other churches are probably very poor. It was a sacrifice for them. They're, ba they're basically the churches of Macedonia, the, probably the poorest churches Paul dealt with, were basically paying the Corinthians tithe for them so that Paul could help plant that church. So you can see why he's so emotional about this. This is an insult, not just to him, uh, but also to these churches who have sacrificed in order to bring the gospel to Corinth. They're just so self-focused and materialistic and so persuaded by these, these uh, false teachers here. And he did it because he didn't want to be a burden to them. And, uh, and he says, and I will continue to do so. Now, he, th him doing this, he's not, gonna, he's not now coming in and saying, okay, so because you think I'm giving this thing away for free and it's therefore worth it, so I'm going to start charging you. No, he says, I'm going to continue. This is a personal conviction of mine, and I think it's going to be important. Now, put yourself, if you will, in the position of the false apostles who are charging. Who's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, pretty cool sermon. Hand it over, you know, write me a check. You know, put, put a little coin in my bag, you know, that kind of thing. And Paul just insists, no, no, I'm going to keep giving this to you. Free. How, what kind of position? That kind of puts the, the false apostles on the horns of a dilemma, right? Because Paul says, no, I'm going to keep not charging you. And these guys are charging them. And the Corinthians are going to start wondering about the motives behind those false teachers. But they're not going to stop charging because that's the reason why they're doing what they're doing. They are completely motivated by money and power. So, so he, it's a brilliant strategy from his point. In the long term, he will eventually expose them as uh, being in it for the buck rather than for the, the teaching of the gospel. So he is, uh, he, he's frustrated because what Paul did in sacrificing and humbling himself, they labeled as sin. And he's, trying to, he's just kind of trying to tell them, you need to grow up in this, in this regard. So that's one of the aspects of a... Of a uh, uh, of a true, a true teacher is that he is humble. The second one is they're truthful here. In verse 10, he says, as the, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boast of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Now, he's kind of he's making an oath here. He's saying, he's, almost, you can almost see him raise his hands. As the truth of Christ is in me, he's making something of, of a vow here. He goes on in 2 Corinthians, or remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God here. 
So uh, Paul is a good teacher. He is not out about to fleece the flock. He's out about to feed the flock. Now, don't take this too far. You know, uh, you, you, there's this mentality with a lot of churches uh, regards to the pastor's salary package. Keep them poor. Keep them praying. And, you know, that is evil. That is evil. Now, it's one thing if it is a truly a poor church and they simply don't have the money. But this idea that, uh, that we're going to let the pastor make a whole lot less than the rest of us make in order to keep him on his knees. Uh, that, that's, you know, you, you, you think well, that doesn't happen. It does happen. Uh, you know, one of the things with, uh, the, that happens in presbytery meetings is that the call of a pastor is read. And uh, the most recent one that I heard read, there was a man who was, uh, who was called to a ministry recently in the last few years who was about my age, had a similar uh, experience, not, uh, and, uh, and that kind of thing, had some good experiences uh, in, in, in the mission field and everything. The salary that they wanted to pay him, that they were paying him, was what, what I made in industry in 1989. And this man had a number of children. And, and, and I just think, why, and, and if the church, again, was a church plant, new start, they didn't have the, that's one thing. This church had been established for many, many years. And I just want to scream every time those, that happens. You are a generous church. You are a generous church. And I'm grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it. When, when Jack one day receives a calling, I will fight that they actually pay him similar to what his church is making. Otherwise, he, he can't keep up with the church. So you got, if you take this too far, you're, you're in error here uh, because you do need to pay a good living raise to pastors. Pa Paul is making an exception here. He's, he has been able to do this because he wants to, as he's planning churches, he wants to make sure that his motives are not, uh, are not questioned here. But he loves the flock and he is teaching the people. He doesn't want to fleece the flock. This is, this is a warning throughout Scripture. Ezekiel 44 says this, that the, the priest is supposed to teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. But it's embarrassing to me how many people don't do that. As a matter of fact, they even model the, just the different um, aspect. They actually sometimes model the unclean instead of the clean. I like what Steve Lawson, Steve Lawson, I think he's now head of Ligonier Ministries, took over for R.C. Sproul. Steve Lawson says this, there are only two kinds of preachers, those who preach the Bible and those who need to resign. Boy, wouldn't we be better off if that was the case? Two kinds of preachers, not real complicated, those who preach the Bible, could be in a number of different denominations, preach the Bible and those who need to resign here. Well, Paul is not the one who needs to resign. It's the false teachers. Uh, at this point in time, they just need to be thrown out on town on a rail. So he is, uh, he's talking about this boasting of mind. It says it will not stop in the regions of Achaia. So Paul is not just concerned about Corinth in general. He's considered, uh, concerned about all of Greece. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole issue here that's at stake here in, in really the whole gospel going into to Europe at this particular time. Now we see here that a good teacher is loving. And he asks the question in verse 11, why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. He's asking again a rhetorical question here. But, but the, he's, he's basically saying, how can the Corinthians think that Paul's humility and, and truth towards them will be a demonstration of a lack of love for them? Is being ripped off and being deceived uh, an evidence of genuine love? He doesn't mind showing a difference, com showing a comparison. I want you to compare 
the way I've acted towards you with these, with these false teachers. But now, one of the reasons what they've done, the false teachers have exploited, Paul has sometimes had to be harsh with them. Any of you parents ever had to be kind of harsh and firm with your children? Man, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope you've been willing to say no at times and not let them have their way at times and a lot of times because their way can actually lead to a lot of trouble. Well, that Paul's been that way too. He has had to be harsh with the Corinthians, his most troubled church here. And that is actually a demonstration of love. You know, one reason why spoiled kids, uh, one reason why spoiled kids uh, and abused children struggle so much through life is because both the spoiled kid and abused kid get a, a subliminal liminal message from their parents, I don't really love you. I don't love you enough to take care of you and to not abuse you, or I don't love enough to, you to put good parameters in your life. So you don't want to be on either one of those extremes there. I love what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther says, I am not permitted to let my love be so merciful as to tolerate and endure false doctrine. So there's a, there's a point in time when, when, when it's the loving thing to say no to heresy, for instance, here. Paul said in Romans, which he actually wrote from Corinth later on, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, evil cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. What a wonderful definition of love that is. So there's no way that the money-loving super apostles that Paul is fighting here are, are being willing to accept this uh, because they're in it for the money. They're not in it for the love. They're basically, it's business for them. And Paul, again, makes another vow. God knows I do. Another oath in order to validate. He just needs them to take him seriously. Now you see here the, uh, the evil or bad teachers in verses uh, 12 through 15 here. Uh, you know, I struggle with the title. The original title was Good Versus Evil Teachers. And when I went back through and I thought, well, that's so strong. And I changed it to bad. And then I thought, no, evil's a good word. Why did I take bad out? So some of your documents may say the discerning good and evil. Some may say discerning good and bad. I'm here to tell you I caved and I wish I hadn't. It's evil. Okay, these are evil teachers. Now, I'm not being judgmental. Oh, I am being judgmental, but listen to how the Apostle Paul actually talks to these people and what they're like. But this is an old, old problem with Paul. Again, as he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 at Miletus there, he says there, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Okay, Savage wolves. Paul's not being real flowery in that, you know? Evil teachers, bad teachers are savage wolves here. Well, what's some components of what we need to look out for here? Uh, first of all, they're prideful, verse 12 here. But what am I doing? I will continue to do so, that, so I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded regard as just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting here. So uh, the pride here manifests itself in greed. They have a right to take the fleece, the flocks. Uh, they they want to do that. And again, he puts them in an awkward position where they either have to stop charging 
uh, or discredit Paul. And I think the time is coming where the people are not going to fall for what they're, uh, they're doing anymore. So they're full of pride. They're also deceitful. Listen to the terms here that Paul uses here. They are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Notice this. This is not a sin of ignorance. It's not that they're just zealous for God, but they don't have any understanding of theology or church history. So they're just going to go out and make a bunch of mistakes. I think many of us have fallen into that category before. This is deliberate. They know their teachings counter truths to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are deliberately doing so. So there is a desire to deceive people. He calls them false apostles. This term may have actually been termed, uh, uh, coined by the Apostle Paul himself. You don't find it anywhere else in the, uh, in the New Testament. But you find the principle throughout redemptive history. Jeremiah 14, the prophets are prophesying falsely in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them or, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and deception of their own minds. Same thing was happening during the time of Jeremiah. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Luke 6, 45, the good man out of his good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For out of his mouth speaks that which fills his heart. And that's really where Paul's kind of going is that these words that they're teaching show you the corruption of the heart. The way they're living towards you with this lack of love shows you what's really in their heart. In Romans, Paul warns the Romans in chapter 16, Now I urge you, brethren, keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Yet our, our culture just seems to to emphasize the shallow in so many ways. If someone's good looking, they must be honest. You know, if someone is successful, they must have integrity. Now, it's not that it's not that you can't be good looking or successful. I'm looking at a lot of good looking, successful people out here. But we've got to be able to learn what's in the heart, what's in the heart. We've got to get past the, the profile picture <laughs> And know what's really going on here. That takes time. It takes some effort. It takes some effort on your part, right? What is it what they're saying? How do they live their lives? But this is probably one of the, the greatest. Would you, would you say that the devil was bad or would the devil was evil? The devil's evil, right? He's not just bad. He doesn't make mistakes on occasion, right? He is at his core evil. That's why I feel bad about changing the title of this thing. Okay, these are evil teachers because he says here, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. An angel of light. Satan, Satan doesn't show up the way he is. He tries to look like God or as an angel of light. Again, that is that idea is uh, uh, is the only time that Satan's called an angel of light in Scripture. But the idea is goes again all the way back to the Old Testament. Isaiah's description of, of the king of Babylon is actually, many commentators think it's actually a description of Satan. Listen to Satan. Uh, listen to Isaiah about what he, uh, he says about Satan. Boy, that was, that was close. Isaiah 14. You have fallen from heaven, 
You have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth. You have, made, you have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Satan wanted to be God. So he wants to pretend to be God when he tries to go and destroy the church. He doesn't show up the way he actually looks. He puts on the mask of, uh, of something beautiful, something we would, that would be worthy of our respect and our worship. One commentator says this, Satan is most effective in the church when he comes not as an open enemy, but as a false friend. Not when he persecutes the church, but when he joins it. Not when he attacks the pulpit, but when he stands behind it. And he says here, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. These people that he's calling out are saying they're servants of, of the devil here. You remember that uh, Jesus, when he, uh, when he was addressing his opponents in John chapter 8, he says this, You are your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. As Charles Hodge, the great Princeton theologian, said, Satan does not come to us as Satan, neither does he present himself as sin. Probably one of the best descriptions of Satan comes to us from the screw tape letters. That might be the next summer's men's summer reading book, but the screw tape letter. Y'all read this rumor? There's a discussion between demons on how to tempt someone in London there. And uh, this uh, screw tape gets this, uh, gives this counsel to his nephew, Wormwood. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And it's interesting, uh, one of the things that, uh, that Paul is being accused of is being just so intolerant, right? You're just so firm, you're so intolerant, uh, and you, therefore you're, you're unloving, you keep talking about sin and this kind of thing. I like John MacArthur. John MacArthur just doesn't take any prisoners, does he? That man's bold. He's getting bolder. You know, if he lives to be 120, I don't even sure we can handle it. Uh, but he says this, those who most loudly proclaim the virtue of tolerance are often those with the most to lose if confronted by the truth. We have this, we now have a system of almost tolerance police in our culture. And the reason why they are so zealous for preaching tolerance is because they cannot be exposed to the truth. They are terrified of the truth. So they keep hammering tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. And the more they scream, the more you know they are terrified of the truth. And some of us might have been that way as well. But he says here, those, their end is going to be according to their deeds. You know, any kind of thing that speaks of the final judgment is always should be one of those things that sobers us. Revelation 20 says this, And the devil, who we've been talking about, and his servants, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, whose presence from earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. 
And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in them according to their deeds. And of course, the deeds come from an unconverted heart. Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church was the pillar and the support of truth. In the last few years, it's just been remarkable, the, 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 the embracing of lies as truth in our culture. And this principle is so important to us, we actually put it on our T-shirt this year. You know, we come up with a new T-shirt every, every uh, August. And, and the church is the pillar and support of truth. I, I, I don't trust myself to always remember that. So we stuck it on a T-shirt, right? You know, I, I, I don't trust ourselves to, to, to keep embracing good church traditions. So we put the five solas of the Reformation on the front door. We, we, we put Bibles in, in each one of the chairs. We put hymn books that have the confession of faith there so that you can keep us accountable and help keep us holy. Then you have this crazy verse in, uh, in 20 here that the false teachers are abusive. It's amazing to me how many uh, emails I get about how to spot an abusive pastor. There's something about ministry that can sometimes attract control freaks and power-hungry people. And, and we have to be careful of this here. He says here, he says, you tolerate it. If anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exhausts himself, or anyone even hits you in the face here. So these false teachers are not just teaching falsehood, they're being bullies. They're manipulating people. They're shaming people. They're taking their money from them, you know, and, and devouring. That's what, what that means. Take advantage of you, exalting themselves. There's no humility here. But he even says, hits you in the face. Now, he might be using figurative language here. I don't know that they were going around slapping people, but they may have. You know, I was telling Jack earlier, I was uh, early days of, you know, again, back in the 60s and 70s, everybody rebelled, even the churches rebelled. And uh, I was part of a good, godly church, but with, that basically had started during the 70s. We didn't have a, a strong tradition. Uh, didn't have a lot of people who were theologically trained. Uh, they had kind of a pietistic sort of background. And again, our particular church was really a godsend. I was discipled. I learned the word of God and everything. But we were associated with a number of other churches across the country. And in one of those churches, one of the pastors was literally spanking members as a form of discipline. By the way, this is not the ARP, <laughs> by the way. Now, how creepy weird is that? But this, it's one of those things. Well, you know, the rod of discipline. Well, here's the rod. And Aaron had a rod, so here's the rod and everything. So, I mean, I mean just this is what happens uh, when, when, when people are not in check. Now, you, I, you, I would never get away with that here, you know. And the ARP would never let me go. It's good. It's a good thing to be associated with a good tradition and with good accountability, Okay. That's an extreme example, but if you know enough and you've been around long enough, you hear things like that. Abuse. Abuse. And Paul's saying, wake up. It's like, it's, it's like if you ever dealt with someone who was an abused spouse. You know, it's hard for them to break free. They're so accustomed. Life is anger. Life is abuse. Life is manipulation. And that's what they know. It's terrible, but it's that which they know. It's like sometimes you have to just be the friend to go in and pull them out of that environment so they can wake up and see what's, 
what's been going on in their lives. So again, he might be using figurative language here. But basically, the Corinthians were, as, he said, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, where he states, children were tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. The Corinthians did not recognize humility, truthfulness, and love, the aspects of a good teacher. Uh, when they saw it, they, they, they chose rather to follow pridefulness, deceitfulness, and abusive false teachers. So the Corinthians need a lesson in discerning good from bad teachers, and let's learn that lesson ourselves. Because I want this church to be around for hundreds of years. And it will be. It will be if we will go to school and learn the same lessons that Paul is teaching to the Corinthians. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Let me close with what the Apostle Paul closes with the Thessalonians in his first letter to them, where he says, similar to this, this affirmation of what we need to do as our church, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. Father, I do thank you for the wake up call that we need uh, through Holy Scripture, God. We become complacent uh, and we, we, most of us don't like conflict. Uh, but there's times when you call us to conflict with false teaching. Help us to recognize the good and the evil alike. And I pray, God, that you would preserve this church with good teaching for generations to come. In Christ's name, amen.